Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 219 Organizational Enlightenment. We're joined again by Brian Robertson, founder of Holacracy One, to continue our exploration into what it might mean for an organization to wake up in the world. This is part two of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. So, Brian, you're talking a lot about hierarchy. You've mentioned consensus decision-making. You've mentioned top-down decision-making. And I know that this tension, which you've already highlighted, is one of the primary ones I feel playing out in different Buddhist communities that I'm aware of. And on the one hand, like you said, people that have spiritual values, they realize that this sort of top-down feudal model of running a business, as this sort of military model, doesn't really work. In fact, I, I remember just out of college, I was uh, graduating from Naropa, and I went and worked as a waiter at this uh, five-star you know, resort. And the COO during our introduction came in and said, uh, he was explaining the future of the organization, what we're going to do, and we're going to expand over here. And he used this metaphor to describe the capital they had in the bank account. He said, we have to pull money from our military chest or from our uh, it was war like chest. our war chest. We have to pull money from our war chest to build this new, you know, this new resort. <laughs> and <laughs> there's something about that that just seems so totally wrong. <laughs> and that's reality, though. That many organizations do run that way in terms of top-down power structures. It's very difficult to get information up the chain of command. Yeah. And then on the other hand, like you're saying, the consensus-based systems, the ones that I've been aware of and have been part of, uh, were incredibly painful to sit and talk and it wasn't ever clear who's deciding what, who has authority to make this decision, what decision are we even discussing. You know, It would just range and rove all over the place. And so I know these two, in terms of a polarity, are very common in the Buddhist world. And Maybe if you could flesh out a little bit more about the strengths and weaknesses of these different models and how you see them sort of coming together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things when you talk about that, you know, hierarchy, top-down kind of hierarchy, or a more consensus-oriented culture, looking at those two, what they have in common, actually, is that they're both fused with the people. So we're talking, when you say hierarchy, the implicit part of that is a hierarchy of the people. You know, how do we people show up hierarchically with each other, or how do we people show up in an egalitarian kind of space with each other? You know, when you you talk about structure, there's a real power in shifting the whole perspective or frame to looking at what is a more organic, natural structure. And when we look at that, it actually has nothing to do with the people. So structure itself is not the issue. Thank God atoms and molecules and cells are so well-structured, or where the hell would we be, right? And uh, likewise, my colleague uh, David Allen will often point to it and say, those two lines painted in the center of the road, that's structure right there. (laughs) And yet... (laughs) You don't perceive that as frustrating, limiting structure that is putting upon us uh, or whatever. It's healthy, effective structure to let more emerge, to facilitate something. So 
a healthy structure is one that actually fades to the background and you don't notice because it's very organic. It's not uh, an artificial structure. And most of the structures where we're talking about fusing humans with structure and talking about hierarchy of people where somebody has power over another person or not, or consensus where we're kind of have lack of clarity of power at all because we all think that uh, you know we all want to have a voice or whatever, both of those I think can get pretty limiting in, in very different ways. So for me, the first move is to shift the even frame of how we think about structure. Instead of thinking about it at all, uh, about the people, uh, the question that Holacracy asks is, what is the structure of the organization, not the people, nothing to do with the people, that we need to express the purpose? So by that, you know, what are the contexts or teams or scopes of work that we need to attend to? And there's a natural structure to them that is a holarchy, uh, is the word we use. It's uh, you know, you might have uh, an organization that has multiple project teams, multiple projects it's pursuing that fit together into an overall function or department, and multiple functions that fit together in an overall organization. But notice in that description, there's no mention of people. There's no mention of, of a hierarchy of the people. It's what is the natural kind of cellular structure or organic structure? We have different cells in our organization that have different functions. Uh, there's a marketing cell that has a function or a business development cell or a product development cell or whatever. And these, these entities have functions. They're organs of this organism. And they naturally fit together cells into organs, organs into broader systems, and systems into a body. Uh, there's a natural structure to that having nothing to do with the people. And if we can get clarity on what is the structure in that regard needed to express the purpose, now we have an interesting second question, which is how do the people intersect with it? So what we want to do is shift from anything having to do with an artificial top-down power hierarchy of status, of ego, of whatever, or a consensus-y, you know, no structure, flatland, into what is the natural organic structure of the organization and then how do the people fill roles or energize parts of that. Um, so with holacracy, there's actually a distributed power structure at play where uh, there's a natural holarchy, not of the people at all, but about the scopes and systems and organizational cells, if you will. And then the people show up and have different power or authority based on the roles they energize and what's naturally needed for that role to do its job. So it actually shifts the authority from our conventional top-down hierarchy, which says the boss, the CEO, whatever, has complete unlimited autocratic control to do whatever they want. That is not true at all with holacracy. It is a distributed power structure. If the frontline, you know, mail clerk, uh, whatever role has an authority, an accountability, and an authority in holacracy for choosing uh, systems for processing mail, or who knows, that gives them the authority to do that, and no one has the authority to tell them otherwise. The CEO cannot come in and countermand their decision. The CEO does not have that authority. Uh, the CEO can't even tell them, well, here's what I'm expecting of you. The CEO doesn't have that authority. There is a defined governance process that defines authority. So we've shifted the seat of authority from the hierarchical status positions into a governance process that's defining roles that are needed, cells of the organization that are needed to express purpose, and seeding authority into that. So authority is truly distributed. Every role has the authority to tell the CEO to go to hell around specific decisions. And the CEO, same thing. Uh, actually, that role title is not even meaningful anymore. What this looks like is neither a hierarchy in a conventional sense nor a consensus-seeking organization. It's something completely different. And it integrates all of that. When we show up as humans, we show up in a natural egalitarian space to do governance. So our governance process is recognizing 
we are all sensors of reality. We are points of consciousness. And there is not a hierarchical relationship in that space. It is everybody to the fullest capacity for them to sense reality has the ability to bring that and process it. And then when we energize roles, well, those roles are naturally structured into an organizational body or system. And they have authority that no one else can do. You know, every cell in your body has an authority and your brain isn't poking holes in it and telling it what to do. It has its own authorities and it has to be aligned with the broader system. So it's a, it has to be a good citizen in a broader environment. And there's a natural holarchic structure, a hierarchy of increasing wholeness, an organic natural hierarchy, uh, as opposed to a hierarchy of people, status, ego, whatever. It's not even the, the consensus or hierarchy put together. It's something entirely different that gets the wisdom in both of those, that has the power of both of those. It integrates autocracy as much as it does an egalitarian, everybody gets a voice, as much as it does hierarchy, as much as it does flat consensus. All of that is there in the way that best serves the organization and its purpose and honors us as individual actors coming into that without having weird status power relationships like we're used to. So it's a little bit hard to describe, but I hope that gives a general sense. Nice. And maybe it'd be helpful to kind of move a little from theory into some examples, because I know for a lot of people hearing this, this sounds too good to be true in a certain way. (laughs) And maybe it'd be helpful if you could share some examples of how this is being implemented now in organizations, organizations that you're working with or that you've worked with, and also maybe including some of the challenges that have come up as part of that, because I know you haven't perfected this yet, (laughs) and maybe that'll never happen. Yeah, it's always a continuing journey for sure. Actually, as we're talking about this structure and this power issue, that's one of the things that we find is most intriguing or challenging in the examples uh, that we've got now, the organizations we're working with. It's one of the hardest shifts for people to really get and embody. So uh, one company we're working with down in Texas, it's a really cool marketing firm. And they had, you know, as most organizations today do, your kind of typical hierarchy in place. And then part of their organization had a matrix structure in place, which kind of got a little bit more towards a a consensus kind of environment. And what they were suffering from in both parts of the company was lack of clarity around who can make what decisions and why and with what input and with what input they don't have to listen to and all that. So when we came into them, the structure that that gets put in place with Holacracy, every team becomes a self-organizing cell of the organization. So every one of their frontline project teams, they had some departments and disciplines like a creative discipline, a technology discipline, a project management disciplines, these kind of different discipline teams, and then different account teams working on client accounts. Each of these teams has an autonomy and an authority to self-organize how it does its work to express its purpose. So that's one part. And they do that through a defined governance process. So these teams have a structured meeting process and decision-making process to define how do we structure ourselves? What are the authorities different roles naturally need uh, and different processes then for finding the best fits to put people into roles? And then these different cells, these different teams get connected. They're not just disconnected entities. We have what we call a double linking process. So if you think of a cell fitting into an organ or in this case, a team, say a project team fitting into a broader department or take one of their disciplines, their project management or technology or creative disciplines, fitting together within an overall service delivery function, right? So there's a natural holarchy there, and there's a representation in both directions, bidirectional. So each of those discipline teams elects one of their members to sit in the broader circle, as we say, the broader organ, and take part in its governance and its self-organization. And that broader circle appoints one of their members to sit into each of those sub-circles, as we say, or those those cells. So we've replaced even that with the kind of top-down 
flow that we see in most companies today with a bi-directional double link where each broader team appoints a representative into the sub-teams to make sure those sub-teams are aligned with the broader team. And each of the sub-teams elects somebody to sit in the broader team to make sure that's a healthy, conducive environment that's honoring the autonomy of the sub-team. And in that, governance is not just something we do at the top. It is a distributed power system. So even with those double links, every circle, every cell is processing tensions to evolve how we do the work. They've moved from something where most decisions really went to the senior leadership team and kind of happened at the top. That's kind of what pulled the strings and controlled everything. And then another part of the company where they had lack of clarity and they were in kind of a consensus mode of everyone tiptoeing around power issues and trying to, to build buy-in and consensus and taking lots and lots of time to do it into a, a fractal distributed kind of meshwork where each team knows what is its authority and what is the bounds of its authority as a team. And then the team breaks that down to figure out what's the structure of how we work. What are the roles? What roles have what authority? People know what roles they fill. So there's clarity around all of that. And then these teams have the bi-directional links to connect the whole entity into a, an overall structure that's aligned with a purpose. So real transformational. They're in the middle of the implementation of this. We've been working with them for about four months now. It's just remarkable to watch the transformation, to watch the clarity that gets increased. They were already a great company, but watching the extra clarity, watching the the whole system get engaged. You know, one guy said in, in one of our meetings, we processed attention through. It took about 45 minutes, which is really slow for an organization that's up to speed at this. Later, that will be slow. But for them, 45 minutes processing this one tension, the guy that brought it up said, I've been holding that tension for two years. We've spent countless hours over years discussing it with no resolution. In 45 minutes, we were just able to integrate and resolve that tension into some meaningful change in the organization. And he was amazed. And that kind of aha has been happening throughout the organization now again and again from people at all different levels as they're able to actually process tensions and evolve the organization. And have you run into any major difficulties? Like are there certain types of organizations that have just been unable to implement holacracy for certain reasons? Are there certain people that just don't seem to fit well with the system? I mean, what kinds of uh, stumbling blocks have you guys had? Yeah, definitely. And let me use that as an invitation to point out that this might sound great. In some ways it is, but it's certainly not a silver bullet. It's not easy. As you said at the very beginning, Vince, uh, this is a practice. And you might get it in theory, and it might sound wonderful. The, f- the first time I, I read about meditation, <laughs> I, was, I was exploring stuff. I read about it. It sounded simple. I got the theory, right? You know, no problem. I'd had enough experiences of my own. I'd read enough books. I, I get the theory. Got it. Sounds simple. Sounds easy. Get the theory completely. Uh, sit down to do it and say, what the hell is this? I'm falling asleep on a cushion for an hour. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> it's frustrating. What the hell? So, you know, that was my kind of wake-up call that a practice, no matter how much you get it cognitively, it's still a practice and it's going to take discipline and it's hard. It's going to surface stuff that even though you're bought in at one level, it can surface stuff that's really hard to face and deal with and integrate. And the same is all true with holacracy. And that gets to, I think, some of the real challenge of this. It's a bitch. It holds up a mirror ruthlessly. And there are times that as much as you want it overall, you don't want to look in that mirror. Every attachment that we get that tries to get in the way of a decision-making process in one of these meetings gets a light shined on it. It gets a mirror held up and we stare right in the face of it no matter how hard we try to look the other way. And that's hard. Uh, Not only is that hard, the discipline to even get there. And then on top of it, one of the biggest challenges we have is what we call ego shock. It can be very difficult on a leader in a conventional system who is somewhat fused with the organization, has learned to be a healthy, effective, heroic leader. 
Uh, you know, the kind of person that within the existing structure has learned the ways to work that structure as best it can be worked, who has learned to lead heroically and to get real results in the world and has perhaps some attachments, uh, but is still doing a pretty damn good job. And what Holacracy does is reframe everything they've learned and make a lot of it uh, obsolete or different. It pushes them out of a heroic leadership role. Holacracy really tries to move beyond this heroic leadership paradigm into a truly distributed leadership paradigm um, where everybody leads their roles and you don't have a need for this heroic leader, father figure pulling it all together. With that, though, comes so much shock. I don't mean just ego shock in the way of you know somebody having to face their own attachments where they're dominating the organization. That happens too. But things that have served, heroic leadership is how results happen in many organizations today. It's an effective way of working. And, and this reframes that and takes their power and says, no, put it into a governance process and, and let go of so much of this autocratic power used to hold into a process that holds it hopefully more indifferently, but that's a big leap of faith. Uh, and even as they step into it, it's going to surface all of their own attachments, their identity connections to this. It's a real bitch. And not just for the leaders, it's as much for everyone else. Um, anytime somebody tries to play the victim, Holacracy holds up a mirror to it. It's one thing to hide behind I'm a victim and not have to face and deal with reality when there's some truth in it because you're in a system where you have no voice and no way to process tensions. When you're in a system where any tension you sense can be processed into something effective to move things forward, it's really hard to justify to yourself, to self-delude that you are a victim. And that's hard, and it takes owning your reality in a way that I think many people in most organizations today have never really tried to grapple with. And that will stir up all sorts of stuff. Cool. And you know, I can't help but... Th- Again, thinking of the parallels between what you're describing as organizational practice and more sort of spiritual practice, of course, you're talking about organizational practice having the purpose of fulfilling the aim, fulfilling the purpose of the organization. And often with inner practices, there are aims too. Like in the Buddhist tradition, enlightenment or awakening is considered one of the sort of fundamental aims of that practice. What do you think of this idea of organizational enlightenment? What does it look like as this practice really matures into a very deep and wise and sort of, like you're saying, 45 minutes can be a long time for attention. What does it look like when things are really humming yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give an example from my own organization here that I work in, Holacracy One. Going back to my parent child metaphor, for me, the fascinating thing when things are humming, from a personal standpoint, you get the sense every tension comes up, gets processed, that feels great. More tension surface. So you're, you're just flying and it's moving at, you know, Mach 10. But the other interesting thing from an organizational point of view or organizational enlightenment, you start getting a sense of the organization as its own entity. You get a sense of like a self there in a way. It's the strangest thing. There's a sense of I'm in relationship with this entity, Holacracy One, uh, that I'm no longer projecting my stuff on or dominating. I'm, I'm in relationship with it and trying to help it find its path in life as I continue trying to unfold mine. There's a really powerful quality. And at the same time, the sense is this child, this thing that came into the world fused with us founders is starting to wake up. There's a sense of consciousness there uh, in a way, a sense of... It's hard to even language or describe. There's almost no words for it. But there's a sense of a real entity that is sensing reality and processing it and continually evolving and reaching out and touching things and waking up in a way that I think most of our organizations today are not awake in any real sense like that. In fact, many of them are 
completely dominated to the humans uh, holding the strings. They're extensions of those human selves and interests and slaves in a way, or they're just simply asleep. And they're awfully big, powerful babies to be asleep and putting things in their mouth. <laughs> you, know, you look at companies today of such power in the world. So for me, I, I think there's, and this really gets to the core of what we're trying to do, to help organizations wake up. And we don't mean the people within them, that there's other great work that does that. Our focus is helping the organization as an entity differentiate and liberate itself and wake up to have the capacity to consciously process whatever arises in its reality with some deeper sense of tug of however you want to language it, we call it evolutionary purpose, but some sense of what is unfolding through me. I know you know what I'm talking about on an individual personal level. It's like we all can get that sense of I am an agent of reality. There's something working through me, not from me. How can we give our organizations that sense? And for me, that's the experience. It's the experience of the organization being this conduit for something to unfold or emerge into the world, spill into the world. And that's a natural force. It's not like you're pushing it or forcing it or anything like that. All you're doing is clearing a space and allowing consciousness to have its way with it uh, in a way. I think that's really relevant and I think it completely reframes the way we even think about organizations from being collective constructs or property into their own entities. That shift is so powerful when you take that stance. There's so much you can do with it. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.